All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Christian Fellowship Free Church. Thank you for being here. Kids, you are dismissed at King's Table. Um, as you're uh, opening up, we're going to be in 1 John this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 John. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one that is near you that is a gift to you. Uh, and if you're using that seatback Bible, 1 John can be found on page 1021. So we're going to be continuing in our series um, God is light. And so as you're turning there, I'd like to thank our, our prayer team. Uh, we have a group of people who every week are up front um, to, they're up here to pray with you, for you, uh, about anything and everything. They're happy to uh, go to the Lord with you um, for healing, for um, job stress, for relationship stress, for just praise. If you, things are good and you want someone to pray with, uh, we have our prayer team up here every week. So I encourage you to take advantage of them. And I'd just like to say thank you to our prayer team for the for the time and for the important ministry that you serve in. So thank you very much. So we're going to be in First John this morning. Um, you know, as we've been going through this series, this letter really is about confirming and affirming the foundations of our faith. Uh, namely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? In chapter 2, John talked about being aware of Antichrist coming among us, false teachers, people who are trying to lead others astray. And he said in verse 19 of chapter 2 that they went out from us, but they were not of us. Meaning these were people who were part of the church and then fell away and became false teachers. And because they were part of the church, they knew the lingo. They knew the rituals. They knew the things to say to be divisive. If you look throughout history, most heretics, most false teachers started in the church, started out this same way. I'll give you one for example. Uh, his name is Marcion of Sinope. And Marcion is credited as being one of the first people to make a New Testament canon, a collection of New Testament books. His dad was a bishop. He grew up in the church. And in the year 394, he was kicked out. He was excommunicated from the church by his own father. His dad had to kick him out of the church for some of his beliefs and his actions. You see, Marcion uh, read the New Testament and the Old Testament, and he saw the Old Testament God as being different than the New Testament God. He said there's no way that they can be the same one. The Old Testament is all anger and wrath. The New Testament is all love and grace. They can't be the same guy. So we're getting rid of the Old Testament. So he eliminated anything that had to do with the Old Testament. And then as far as the Gospels go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he said only the Gospel of Luke gets it right when it talks about Jesus, when it talks about God. And so the other, the other Gospels, he said, were uh, contaminated. And so he got rid of those. And then when it comes to the rest of the New Testament, he said only the Apostle Paul truly understand, truly understood God's message. And so anything that wasn't written by Paul, he got rid of. So now we have a collection of about 11 books. And even in those 11 books, Marcion then edited those books. He took the Gospel of Luke and he cut out anything that had to, any references to the Old Testament, any miracles Jesus did. Anything that had to do um, with the resurrection, Marcion got rid of. And the same goes for the Pauline letters. Anything that had to refer to the Old Testament, anything that referred to Jesus being raised from the dead, Marcion edited out. And so then he held on to this, edited 11 books and said, this is the true word of God. You see, he edited these things to line up with his own beliefs because Marcion believed that Jesus wasn't an actual human being. He was just an imitation and people followed him. 
people listened to him. And so I bring him up because, uh, for one, he is credited with uh, putting together the first canon, but in response to Marcion and the things he was teaching, we have what we now know as the New Testament because the church leaders at the time saw what Marcion was doing and other false teachers like him and actually started to have the conversations of what is and isn't Scripture. And so because of his false teaching, we have the New Testament in large part. I also bring him up because it's not always black and white when it comes to who we should and shouldn't listen to. This week I googled Christian Church Chicago and I got 3,980,000 hits. And then just for fun I googled Christian Podcasts. I got 29,500,000 hits. You see, there's so much content available to us. And man, I would love for all of these different millions and millions of hints to be honest gospel preaching places. But the reality is, just because something says it's Christian doesn't make it so. We need to have discerning hearts. We need to have discerning minds as to whether or not something is from God. And so that's this morning's message. We're going to look at ways in which Christians are to, as John says it, test the spirits. So that's where we're heading this morning. We're going to read about how to test the spirits and decide whether or not what we're reading, what we're consuming is from God or from Satan. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into 1 John. So you please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship and to celebrate you. Lord, we come to you this morning because you are the source of truth and life and hope. And so, Lord, we come wanting to learn how to be discerning, wanting to learn how to focus on you and hear from you better. God, as we study this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in 1 John. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So as we begin, John uses the word spirit a lot in this passage. So let's address that first before we dive into the test that we need to run. You see, we know that Christians at salvation, when you become a Christian, when you accept Christ's sacrifice as payment for your sins, that Christians at salvation are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He guides us, he rebukes us, he challenges us, he helps us with discernment. And Christians are to be a people led by the Spirit, who listen to the Spirit. But false teachers are led and influenced not by the Holy Spirit, but by Satan. 
So again, just because someone claims to be a Christian, claims to have the Holy Spirit, doesn't make it so. And that's what John says as much. He says, many false witnesses have gone out into the world. And again, how many more do we have that going on today? As I said before, as I said in the opening, with the rise of technology and communication, there is a lot of room for false teachers to dwell in. With just a few clicks of the computer, you can create a blog. With a few clicks on your phone this morning, you could start a podcast and say whatever you want. And I love technology. I love that it, we're able to share information like that so quickly. And it's great for sharing opinions. It's great for sharing stories. But it is potentially very dangerous because there's so much room for anybody to say whatever they want. And so John says, test the spirits. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This word test means prove, examine, scrutinize, recognize as genuine. John tells us to take the things we hear and to test them. Be cautious. Test the spirits, not just some of the time, but test them always. So when you hear things from people claiming to be Christians, regardless of who it is, me included, examine those things. Test them. Make sure they line up with what God has said. Make sure they line up with Scripture. And so John gives us our first test as to whether or not a spirit, a person, a blog, a podcast, a voice is from God. He says, does it confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, if he says in verse 2. Does he confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? This word confess means to declare, to promise, to speak out freely. In court matters, it means to, you know, we, when you watch those court procedurals, it's to admit guilt. Now these are heavy and serious words. We don't throw them around lightly. We don't walk around saying, I declare bankruptcy, right? That's Declaring something is big. We've seen this word confess used in this letter already. In, in chapter 1, verse 9, John said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that only works if we are genuine in our relationship with God. If we are genuine in our confession. Right? Think about it. When two kids get into a fight, two siblings get into a fight, and the parents have to break, break it up. And the parent figures out who's at fault and says, apologize. Apologize to your, your brother. Apologize to your sister. And then they say, oh, I'm sorry. But there's no emotion to it. There's no anything to it. They do that fake or insincere apology, right? And then the parents say, you have to do that again. Do it like you mean it. Because to confess something is serious. And there needs to be a genuineness to it. John makes a point to say Jesus came in the flesh in verse 2. Did you see that? He says every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Why does he make that such a point? Well, because he was writing at a time when false teachers were around claiming that Jesus wasn't really a real person. He was a spirit. Which John has already said in this letter, no, I was there. I touched him. I saw him. I lived with him. He was real. And that idea of someone, the spirits confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that still rings true for us today. It's still important for us today. 
And it's important because he makes a point to say Jesus Christ. He didn't say just Jesus. He didn't say just the Son of God. He says Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. The Messiah. The Anointed One. The one to go to war with Satan. The one to conquer sin and death and hell. The one to forgive sin. The one God promised. The one who is going to restore everything back to himself. Jesus Christ. Jesus the One. John says, confess that Jesus is who he said he is. God in the flesh come to earth to live perfectly and to die painfully. And that's a place where people have an issue with, right? A lot of people will concede Jesus was a good teacher. That he said some moral things. That he even did moral things. But to make him God? To make him the fulfillment of promises from thousands of years beforehand? That they have an issue with. But John says any person claiming to be a Christian has to be able to confess that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. He didn't earn it or win that title. It is his. It has always been his. And so John says any spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Messiah in the flesh, in the flesh, the gospel isn't just a story. It's not a theory It's not a metaphor or a myth. It is reality. He actually came in the flesh. And that matters because if he didn't, we are still in a lot of trouble. Because Christ came to be a sacrifice on our behalf. A sacrifice that satisfied the demand our sin and rebellion have for death. For our death. Jesus came to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, for our rebellion. And so if he didn't actually come, if he didn't actually physically, historically come and die, we are still under the demands of sin, still subject to eternal death and separation from God. But Jesus did come. And he died for you. And he died for me. And he made it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have a right relationship with God. And he is the only way for that to happen. And again, that fact people have an issue with, right? Because they like moral Jesus. They like loving, grace-filled Jesus. But people sometimes have an issue with the exclusive, I am God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, Jesus. But that right there separates him from everything else. It separates Christianity from everything else. And so John says, those who will confess that, will declare that, will speak out freely that message, they are of God. They are of God's people. But as we said before, confession requires a genuineness, right? It it requires more than words. It goes beyond words. It's beyond knowing facts and figures about who Jesus is. If we think about our siblings again that fight and one of them has to apologize to the other one, why do the parents not believe the apology? Because there's a certain level of being able to observe whether someone is genuine in their beliefs. And the same goes for confessing Jesus As Christ in the flesh, you can say it all you want, but if your actions don't match up, it's nothing more than empty words. 
James 2 says the same thing. James 2, he writes to the church and says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. See, you can say all the things you want, but there must be a level of observable life change. Because even the demons, even Satan, know who Jesus is. They know who God is, but that doesn't save them. That doesn't change anything for them. We know trees by the fruit that they bear, right? You walk up to a tree and you see apples hanging from it. That's an apple tree. You go over and you see oranges hanging from a tree. That's an orange tree. You go over and you see Skittles hanging from it. That's a Skittles tree. So too for someone claiming to be a Christian. This confession can't just be lip service. It's got to change things. Because the reality that Jesus being the Messiah, being God, dying for our sins, raising from the dead, these things matter. And it should affect and challenge the way that we live. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't change things, then I question the genuineness of your faith. Now John says it. If something or a spirit or a person doesn't confess Jesus, it isn't from God, very simply. Which means if the person, the book, the podcast, the church is teaching something something contrary to Jesus as Christ, or the things that he said and did in the Bible, then it's not from God. Because God is never going to tell you to do something that goes counter to what the Bible has already told us to do. So if someone or something tells you to act in a way that is counter to truths that you have learned in the Bible, then it's not from God, even if it claims to be. Even if something inside you claims to be the Holy Spirit talking to you, claims to be the Holy Spirit making moves in your life and saying, follow me, if it's telling you to do things contrary to what Scripture tells us to do, it's not from God. Which means we got to know Scripture. Because it reveals God's character to us. It's why we're doing the two-year journey where we're reading through the Bible together. It's why we preach through books of the Bible because this is His Word and we want to know God deeper. So the first test John gives us is whether or not the Spirit, the person, the thing, whether or not they confess Jesus is Christ and come in the flesh. The next test that John gives us has to do with language. What kind of language do you speak? In verses 5 and 6, he talks about whether or not the world can hear, whether or not the world can understand you. It says false teachers can speak the world's language. When John says the world, now he talks about that culture of rebellion and indifference to God, the desires and lusts that people follow with no regard for anything but themselves. These false teachers take full advantage of the climate of the world. They know the language to speak. They know what the world wants to hear. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, and he said in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. doesn't sound too far from what we're experiencing today. 
False teachers will use this. They will share whatever is easiest, whatever puts the most eyes and ears on their product. What, and they want their message to be one that is not only appealing, but one that is simple and distracting. One that doesn't expect much from the people hearing it. Because in contrast, Christians are called to be a people who love selflessly, unconditionally, even when it's hard, even and especially to those who are our enemies. That doesn't make much sense. And it's hard work sometimes. You see, it's like the world and false teachers, they are speaking one language, and Christians, the church is speaking a very different language. And so he tells us, look at verse 6. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It says, we are from God. John is talking about himself and those who were leaders of the church at the time. Men who were with Jesus and saw him and touched him and spent time with him and experienced him. Men who went from being uneducated guys working jobs like being fishermen. Those men who bailed on Jesus when it looked ugly. Those guys went from being these cowards to being the same guys who would later on stand up to the local authority to preach that Jesus is God. Who would be willing, and many did, die for their faith. No one had to attest their allegiance. And John has made it clear throughout this letter that he is writing what he is, that what he is writing, what he is teaching is nothing new. He's teaching what Jesus taught. Love God. Love people. And so he says those who listen and respond are from God. In the same way that those false prophets speak the same language as the world, so too those who are from God hear and respond to those speaking from God. For those who are of the world, these false teachers, sound doctrine and sound teaching don't make sense to them. It doesn't compute with the worldview they hold. So the question to ask is, when those who say that they are from God run into sound teaching or doctrine, do they respond to it? Are they convicted by it or do they blow it off and forget about it? Do they make excuses and reasons why it doesn't make sense? Because those who are truly from God will hear the word of God, will be challenged and convicted. They will hear truth and examine their own hearts and souls and repent when needed. But those who are false teachers, they will hear sound doctrine being talked about and think it's another language. And so the two tests that we need to run are first, do they confess Jesus is Christ and come in the flesh? And second, do they hear truth and respond? Now, even in the midst of the reality that we live in a world with false teachers, even though that's part of the world we live in, John gives us an encouragement and reminder as we go through life, and he tucked it into verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he gives us this encouragement, you have overcome them. Those John is writing to, the Christians, he reminds them, he reminds us, you have overcome. You have not given in to these false teachers because you are a Christian. You have stood firm. You have not been swayed. You have stayed true to what you know to be truth. 
by abiding in God, by finding your resting and your security in what you know to be truth, by testing spirits, by trusting in the gospel and in Christ for your identity and your righteousness, you have overcome and avoided the pitfalls that these false teachers want to throw at you. I'm not breaking news here by saying life is not always easy. We don't always make great choices. There will come times when we will sin. And so that means that we need to celebrate and be encouraged when we see victories in our lives. When we have those times when we don't fall into sin, when we choose to walk in the light instead of walking in darkness, remember that is you overcoming Satan through the power of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in that. You have overcome. You are in a battle with Satan and you are winning victories. So rejoice in those things. So he gives us this encouragement that, look, you are winning battles. And he gives us a reminder. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is greater. It is a reoccurring theme of the book. He is greater than anything this world has to offer. He is greater than sin. He is greater than hell. Greater than the greatest thing you can think of. God is greater. He is greater than he who is in the world. Satan. God is greater. Satan can accuse. He can distract. He can do some damage. But Satan is not in control of this world. He is not in charge. He is not equal in any way with God. Because God is greater. And as we said at the beginning this morning, every Christian has the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit is God. You have God in you. You have God steering the ship, guiding things. And if you will just remember that he is greater than anything else, even ourselves, how much better off will we be? If we will let God do what he wants, if we will let him steer the ship, if, he will, if we will remind ourselves that God is greater I say it often from this pulpit, but you don't have to look very hard to see that our world is hurting and broken. The world is messy and corrupt. We have false teachers in the world, but our God cares about us. He cares about the way we live. And so he gave us the Bible to help us to know him better, to see truth clearer. He encourages us to engage with him, with him so that we can know for sure if something is really from him. Because he doesn't want us to be living this bland, boring followers who don't think. He doesn't want us to live that way. We are called to challenge the things we hear and see and test these spirits to see if they are really from God. He gives us ways to know what is from God. Does it proclaim Jesus Christ and him in the flesh? Does it call us to live different? Does it speak the language of the world? Does it share a message that is designed to play into the strengths and the brokenness of this world? What language is the message being communicated in? We have to be aware. We have to be aware. We have to question. We need to be discerning people. And as we do that, as we go through our days, do not forget that no matter what you are facing, no matter what you encounter, no matter how dark it may look, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray.